Welcome to This is the Jet Life with Dan Burnham, your guide to the New York Jets sports and much more. And now, your host, Dan Burnham. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of This is the Jet Life, episode 28. Following a Week 10 loss to the Buffalo Bills where the New York Jets got absolutely trampled, and it was ugly. Start to finish, first drive of the game to the last, the New York Jets now are in the very bottom of the division in the AFC East. The Bills have passed us. We have the same record at 3-7, and seven, but via tiebreaker, Buffalo ran supreme over the New York Jets right now. We came into this game a 7-point favorite, which is much, uh, much higher than the Jets usually are in a game. The Bills have been playing absolutely terrible. They've been averaging about six points or so in their last, what, six games, basically since Josh Allen got injured and, and put up a goose egg his last game. And the Jets come in this thing. They gave up 41 points to a quarterback in Matt Barkley, who was named the starter on Friday. Uh, hadn't been playing in the National Football League just a couple weeks before, and nobody thought he was even ready for the game. Actually, Jamal Adams made a statement later on. Uh, I think it was today, actually. He said the New York Jets weren't prepared for Matt Barkley. Believe it or not, they were prepared for Josh Allen, who they thought they were going to be playing against. And it's similar to what uh, he said against the after the Cleveland Browns game when the Jets lost to Baker Mayfield. They said, well, we had our whole game plan set for Tyrod Taylor. Baker Mayfield comes in and shells him. Well, maybe that's true, but it doesn't matter because Matt Barkley's not that good. And you shouldn't have to game plan for a quarterback who's not even in the NFL a couple weeks before and gets the job, you know, gets told he's playing Friday, has two days basically to really mentally prepare New team, new guys there, and come in play against the Jets defense. It's been pretty good this year, especially pretty good against, uh, you know, a team like this. We've been holding teams to very few points recently. And then you play the Bills with this group of receivers and a running game that hasn't gotten going all year long with this offensive line on the Bills where they lost a bunch of their star players or best offensive linemen in the offseason. And the Jets come up and lose 41-10. to It was dreadful. It was really tough to watch. Um... Writing's on the wall. We got a dead man walking at coach right now, and I think everybody kind of knows what's going on. The sentiment around the fan base is pretty negative. A lot of uh, anger, animosity, and and just overall frustration with the overall management of this team. Todd Bowles is going to be gone. We all know it. Jeremy Bates, he'll probably be gone. Casey Rogers, he'll be gone with Todd Bowles, and we're going to see what new direction we go. But before we get into all that, the negative stuff, let's get into everything else. This week is going to be broken down as usual. We're going to touch on the AFC East, see what's going on there. Then we're going to talk about some NFL news and storylines, how they relate to the Jets. We're going to do a quick little what's on tap and break down a little bit of the game. Do the team stats, the player stats. We're going to do a offensive, defensive, special teams player of the game. Kind of wrap that whole thing up and then do a, a preview of the bye week, which isn't much. Just kind of go over what, uh, what I plan on getting into next week. And, uh, yeah, any other random things that come to mind throughout the episode, I'll, I'll touch on that stuff, too. I usually get on rants and get distracted, so we'll see just where that takes us throughout this episode. All right, before I get into the AFC East news, I did want to say uh, a couple people had mentioned to me they were a little bit confused on the podcast, the new format. So I'm working with Gang Green Nation now, and what that means is I've taken the podcast, This is the Jet Life, which used to be private just through me, um, under the name This is the Jet Life. I've taken that and merged with Gangrene Nation. So what they did is they created a podcast called the Gangrene Nation Podcast, and it has multiple shows on it. One by myself, This is the Jet Life, which will always be labeled as such with my picture and emblem, and one by Michael Nania, another member of the of Gangrene Nation who makes what he calls the Gangrene Nation 
podcast, which I guess is somewhat confusing for it, but it's a really good show. It's mixed in there, so when you subscribe, you're going to have to follow the Gangrene Nation podcast, and you're going to see my episodes mixed in with his, which is totally fine. I know it's a little weird at first, but he's actually got really good content worth listening to if you haven't listened to it already. Um, and if not, that's just where you're finding me. I mean, we've had uh, viewership has spiked in the last you know, couple weeks since doing this, and I'm really excited. Looking forward to the opportunity. Appreciate, you know, being here and everybody that listens, newcomers and the people that were with me originally back on the old site, but that's where to find it. If you have any questions on it, just let me know. But it is under now, Gang Green Nation Podcast, rather than being This is the Jet Life Podcast. It's just like a, a sub-series of it. All right, moving past that. Let's touch on the AFC East, where it was a very interesting week in the AFC East. Well, one, because we played the Buffalo Bills, a game that most people thought, maybe we, maybe not everybody thought we were going to win this game. It could be closer than we thought because the Jets had been struggling so mightily on offense. We were playing without Robbie Anderson, without Sam Darnold, doing some new stuff. I think a lot of people thought Josh McCown was going to come in here comfortably and play, um, and they thought the Bills weren't going to be able to do too much. We found out it was Matt Barkley. People weren't really too surprised, shocked, or nervous. Kind of stayed the same, and uh, and yeah, we got absolutely shellacked. 41 to 10. We lost minus 31 in this game. We were seven point favorites. And Vegas was 38 points off on this one. And this was a home game for us. A game where a lot of people think Todd Bowles is fighting for his job. And uh, this is the way they come out and play against a team that they definitely, I mean, they should be able to outman this team. We should have a better roster than this team right now. And we don't. And uh, at least not in this game, it was evident. So that was really frustrating. That's what's going on with the Jets, Buffalo Bills. The Bills have passed the Jets now. They were two and seven. Now the Bills are three and seven, same as the Jets. But the Bills have beaten us, so they're ahead. We do play the uh, Bills again in a couple weeks. So you know, if we beat them, we'll obviously pass them in the division again, assuming they haven't won more games. We haven't won more games, whichever. But we do have a chance to still end better than them. But at this point, what does it matter? We're three and seven. Even if by some miracle, either one of these two teams won out. It ended at 9-7, which still a lot of times isn't even a playoff record. So at this point, we're not playing for anything other than pride um, to kind of evaluate the players that we have going into next year to make the decisions on who we're going to keep in free agency. And then, honestly, draft positioning. And then coaches, of course. you got your coaches, you got your Todd Bowles, and you got your Mike McCagden and Jeremy Bates, and everyone's just trying to prove that they, maybe not to their own team, maybe they're not trying to prove that they deserve to stay, but even to other teams. You know, Todd Bowles is still going to be looking for work, I'm sure, in the NFL. He probably won't get picked up as a head coach right away, but I don't see any reason why he wouldn't be a defensive coordinator candidate for a lot of teams that are looking for one. Maybe Greg Williams is gone in Cleveland. Bruce Arians comes in as their head coach, and he wants to bring in Todd Bowles as defensive coordinator like they had back in Arizona. A lot of those things are possible, but for these players, the managers, the coaches, for everybody, it's just improving your own resume, your own stock, and uh, regardless of record or anything like that, these players want to win. These coaches want to win. Nobody wants to go home. Sunday night, Monday night, with a loss. It's just a terrible feeling. It's always better when you win, and we'll see if we can do that moving forward. But that's what's going on with the New York Jets and the Buffalo Bills, who are now, you know, past the Jets, but still in as terrible situation as we are, basically. Um, They're waiting to get Josh Allen back. Hopefully things will turn around for them. We are still waiting to get Sam Darnold back. He only missed this one game, but we hope that he's going to be back soon. I don't know if they're going to try to hold him out against the Patriots just because, you know, one more week, let's just get through that one so he doesn't get absolutely destroyed by a team that can pin their ears back and crush him. Bill Belichick defense is definitely going to be hard for Sam Darnold to play against, but we'll get to that when it comes. The New England Patriots played a game, and as bad as the New York Jets game was, that game was awesome, at least in Jets fans' minds. 
Patriots lost to the Titans 34 to 10. They lost by a full 24 points to a 4 and 4 average team. But there were a lot of uh, storylines in that one with, you know, the coach of Mike Vrabel on the Titans. You got guys like Malcolm Butler playing over there, Deion Lewis, all this stuff. A bunch of ex-Patriot personnel over there in Tennessee. It was great to see. The Patriots couldn't get it going. They looked like an old team. They looked like they were outmanned. And you wouldn't expect that against a team like the Titans. I mean, I would still think that the Titans are a worse team than the Patriots. And the Patriots have a much better chance of going to the Super Bowl than the Titans do by far. But still, it's nice to see the Patriots come down and kind of just be, uh, you know, down to earth and, and see, wow these teams are beatable and it also gives other teams a little bit of tape going into the playoffs like let's see what the titans did to beat the patriots you can look at that stuff you got some team that's you know 16 and 0 15 and 1 14 and 2 you got minimal games to look at and say okay here's a coaching strategy that worked this is what a team did to beat them when you lose a game 34 to 10 i think a lot of teams that are playing the patriots in the upcoming weeks are going to take a look right at this game jets are going to be one of them we got a bye week and we're going to be watching this tennessee titans film saying what the heck did the titans do to kill the patriots like that that was awesome so the Patriots lose. They drop their record down to 7-3, and three, which is good. They are no longer at the very top of the NFL with a, a record. They weren't at the very top, but they were close. They dropped down a little bit behind a lot of teams that are uh, one and two lost teams in the NFL. And then you had the Dolphins. They played. They're still rocking with Brock Osweiler. Uh, and by rocking, I mean not so much. They played against the Packers. They lost this game. I think a lot of people were expecting it. But they only put up 12 points. Did not look great offensively. And their team is right around that 500 mark. They're trying to make a push into the playoffs. With this loss, they're currently on the outside looking in. They're sitting in the eighth spot in the AFC. Top six teams make it. So they're going to try to get a little bit going in the next up-and-coming weeks. We don't play them again, but they have some tough games coming up. they got some easier games. We'll see if they can end up making. We'll keep an eye on them. That's what's going on there. Let's check in with the rest of the NFL. Former New York Jet and Miami Dolphin and Denver Bronco, Chicago Bear. Brandon Marshall has been picked up by the Saints, who are right now the top team in the NFL, power ranking-wise, and they had recently picked up Des Bryant, who hadn't played all season. Des Bryant gets there signed by the Saints to be a push, since they don't really have a number two receiver that's kicking butt for him this year, next to Michael Thomas. They bring in Des Bryant, and his practice, he tears his Achilles, and uh, he's out for the season. That's it for him, and now we got Brandon Marshall signed to replace him. So that's what's happening to our old friend Brandon Marshall. He's already been cut. I believe twice this year. We'll see if he can make it happen here. He's on a, a team that's poised to make a run. Honestly, Brandon Marshall always wants the ball. You know he's like that, but a guy that's been through what he's been through, playing on a team with Drew Brees, it's already doing so well. There's no scenario where he walks in there and can possibly say to other people, you know, this is my team. We got to get me the ball. Offense has to run through me. He would have to be out of his mind to show up at a team like that and think that he is in charge of making the difference over there. They're doing things right. He just needs to add a little bit, be a cherry on the top, be a, a red zone threat, catch the ball on big third downs, things like that, and do the job that he's asked to do. Other than that, Le'Veon Bell did not report to the Steelers' team today, and he had a 4 p.m. deadline. Since he didn't report, signed the franchise tender, and uh, agreed to play for them this year, he's ineligible to play for the rest of the 2018 season. He's not going to be able to play until next year when he will truly be a free agent. And we'll see what, uh, what everyone's going to want to do. Everyone thinks that he's probably going to want to play for a contender, but obviously... Money's extremely important to him. Otherwise, he would have signed with the Pittsburgh Steelers, who offered him a very reasonable contract, the highest-paid running back in the NFL at the time, to play for a team that is truly a contender, where they drafted him and clearly appreciated him. And a lot of people are saying, well, you know, Le'Veon Bell's obviously a little pissed off because they took care of guys like Antonio Brown, they took care of Ben Roethlisberger and players on their team. Well, you know what? 
they took care of a guy like Antonio Brown because Antonio Brown signed his contract. If Antonio Brown held out, said, oh, I'm not going to play, then he wouldn't have been taken care of. These are guys that got offered deals. They decided it was fair, and they signed it. Le'Veon Bell, he's not holding out technically because he's not under contract. He didn't sign the free agent uh, or the, the franchise tag, so he's not actually holding out. But, you know, I, it's just a very messy situation. He's obviously not going to be back with the Pittsburgh Steelers. I think everybody knows that, but we don't know where he's going to go. Just that he's demanding a ton of money, and it seems like he wants to play for a, a pretty good team. He'd said earlier in the offseason he wouldn't play for the New York Jets for $60 million. All right. Technically, the New York Jets could offer him more than $60 million. So would he play then? And how has his, has his uh, opinion changed in these last weeks of this season where he's not played for the entire year? He's got to figure out a way to get back in there, make himself relevant again, and keep his career going if he wants to keep cashing in and if he wants to keep being a, a star player that he's been. So what's going on with him? We'll follow up on that. He's going to be basically the best offensive free agent available in next year's free agent class that I'm not a huge fan of so far. But he's going to be one of those guys that a lot of teams are going after. We'll see what he demands, and, and that'll be interesting to, to follow. Hugh Jackson was fired by the Cleveland Browns along with uh, offensive coordinator Todd Haley a couple weeks ago, and Hugh Jackson was actually just picked up by Marvin Lewis to go back working with Marvin Lewis for the second time in his career as the defensive coordinator, offensive coordinator for Marvin Lewis. Marvin Lewis is a defensive-minded coach who just fired his defensive coordinator, decided to take over the defensive play calling and the duties over there, so I think he wanted to bring in somebody that he knew and could trust, and that he brought in Hugh Jackson, who's now available, a special assistant, they're calling it. And uh, it's interesting because they're going to be playing against the Baltimore Ravens, which is a very important game for both teams in terms of a playoff push. And you got a new coach calling the play calling. You got, uh, you know, Hugh Jackson probably working with the offense quite a bit. And you've got Marvin Lewis calling the defensive plays. We're not entirely sure what we're going to see from that team, but let's see uh, whether or not it's going to be an improvement or whether or not that team is just on its way into turmoil and maybe both those guys getting fired. Another news, we got a huge game coming up. This week, uh, this past week, Monday Night Football was 49ers versus Giants. Yuck. Next week, it's going to be the L.A. Rams at home against the Kansas City Chiefs. Two of the hottest teams in town. You got Jared Goff, Todd Gurley, all these like MVP possible players. You got Pat Mahomes, Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey on the other side. It's going to be an offensive showing. It's going to be freaking awesome. I think everybody wants to see, you know, are the Chiefs for real? Are the Rams as good as they say? How good is this Pat Mahomes? What's going to happen? This game is actually scheduled to be played in Mexico City, which is crazy because that's a neutral site, and most of the time it's technically a home game for the Rams, but when you play at, like, Mexico City or something, you probably don't have a huge home court advantage. And that's one of those things that in these games can swing things. Once you get to the Super Bowl, it's always a neutral field. And so it's like, all right, both teams have to be in their A game. There's no help from the fans. There's no help from this. And this is going to be a neutral site, so... It's going to be completely awesome to see truly who is the better team with no home field advantage. What can you do? But there have been a bunch of events and storms and rain in Mexico City, and the field is an absolute disaster that players were saying, we're not going to play on this field. We can't risk getting injured. A bunch of guys were going to sit for the game. And uh, the NFL's decided to move the game back to L.A., so it won't be played there anymore. That was just uh, some news that came a little while ago, and at least the players are going to be healthy. But it does go to a home game for the Rams now. They're probably happier with it, to be honest. You know, maybe it's cool to travel down there and play a, a fun little, you know, event game like that. But at the end of the day, you want to win this game against the Chiefs. It has big playoff seating implications when you can win a game like this that a lot of people think, you know, it's, it's maybe a 50-50 game at this point. Now you got a home field advantage. Who knows? It could help you swing in the favor of, uh, of a win in that one. 
Other than that, I mean, that's the big news that I really wanted to cover on in this week. One thing the Jets uh, are going to be looking at moving forward is going to be like the the draft order. Currently, we're slated if the season ended today, we'd be drafting fifth overall, which is a position that we've been in, you know, right around there plenty. We're usually drafting sixth, it feels like, maybe fifth this year. Teams behind us are going to be the Oakland Raiders, the 49ers, the Giants, and the Cardinals, and the Jets fifth. So as those teams play this week, if they gain wins, we'll see if they move ahead of us. Now, I will never root for this team to lose games. We got Sam Darnold. We got what I wanted. There's no reason for me to tank. There's not a player that I want bad enough to watch a Sunday miserably watching the Jets lose 41-10 to to the Buffalo Bills. I don't care if the season's over. I want to win every game, even if it means, you know, costing us draft stock and, and positioning. But when it's all said and done, if they do lose, obviously when the season's over, it's better to be picking earlier than later. And right now the Jets are scheduled for fifth. So we'll see if some other teams win and they do end up drafting, you know, third, second overall, fourth overall. Who knows? They can get some huge splash playmaker guy. Um, there's some positions that the Jets definitely need. Offensive line, running back, wide receiver. They could use tight end. Edge rusher is important. We'll see what happens at the cornerback position for the Jets. Maybe middle linebacker. I'll get into a reason why on that a little bit later in this episode. But there's uh, definitely some possibilities. They can be looking at best player available um, for the most part because they have so many needs on this team right now and so few players under contract. But there definitely are some positions that we're going to be looking for. That is a story for another day. Uh, The season, as it goes on and gets closer and closer to over, and it becomes, you know, playoff time, and New York Jets fans are like, all right, I'll watch the playoffs because it's interesting. But other than that, in terms of Jets fanmanship, all you're really doing is, like, getting ready for the draft, starting to watch the combines, thinking about who can we get next year to now put your hope into a new year, a new basket, and think that maybe things are going to be different this time. I've done it 20 times now. I'm looking forward to doing it one more time, and uh, hopefully after that we will eventually start winning and being a you know, successful playoff team perennially with a Sam Darnold who is eventually going to be the best quarterback in the entire NFL. We just have to get uh, some stuff right in-house before that happens. So with that, we will move over to getting into the shellacking by the Buffalo Bills. But before that, let's do a fan-favorite section of What's on Tap. That's right, the section is What's on Tap, where I talk about the beer that I'm currently drinking for this episode because for every episode, I am accompanied by a special beverage. And this week is one Vermont IPA made by Long Trail Brewing Company. It is a 6% IPA. It's uh, their take on a hazy, hoppy style coming from the greenest state around. And this list is being Green Mountain Haze. This is a shorter 12-ounce uh, can, shorter than the ones I usually drink, the Tall Boys. This isn't really like uh, the beer that I usually drink, the IPAs. Usually I go for those doubles or those single IPAs that are really fruity, juicy, and hazy. This one's not really like that. This is more like the standard IPA that you would get three years ago before this huge wave of craft, you know, double IPAs came out. It's good. I think it's on par with like a Two Roads Honey Spot. It's kind of one of my standbys. I've been to this brewery a bunch of times, and it's really nice. It's right by a river, you know, a lot of wood there in the woods. There's a fireplace inside. It's just very, very nice for a Vermont brewery. And I like the place, and I like this beer because it's solid. It doesn't try to be anything it's not. It just wants to be... A nice, solid IPA. Nothing too crazy. Nothing flashy going on. But it's good. And I think that if, you, uh, if you're if you into this sort of thing, give it a try. I think that you won't be disappointed. If you like IPAs, you're not going to say, wow, this is terrible. You just won't be totally impressed or enthralled by it because it doesn't have anything, uh, anything wild about it. It's just kind of a, a standard IPA. So that's what's on tap for week 28. Following this trampling by the Buffalo Bills, and now it's time to move towards that. I've been trying to dodge it for uh, as long as I could. We're 20 minutes in here, and it's time to talk about the game from the week. 
the New York Jets got killed, as I've said, 41-10. to 10. It was a terrible, miserable game. I think for a lot of people, it was kind of like, finally we lost a game like this so that we know Todd Bowles is gone because a lot of people were nervous. Well, what if Todd Bowles does beat the Bills twice? What if he's able to beat the Patriots once or something like that? Is he going to be able to earn a job back on this team? I think a lot of people are kind of fed up with the offensive play calling and Todd Bowles as a coach overall. Regardless of whether or not we win six games, seven games this year, it wasn't going to be enough really to keep him. And, you know, when you lose to a game like this, I think we all really know Todd Bowles is on his way out. So for some people, it was nice. It's nice to see that the defensive coordinator turned head coach is going to be out of here, and most likely the Jets are going to be taking this in an offensive direction to try to groom their young star quarterback, star in the making. They're going to try to, you know, set him up for success, whether it's Mike McCagnon or not. Not entirely sure about that, to be honest. Um, I think I go 50-50 on this. Part of me is like, I'd like to see what Mike McCagnon can do with all this money. You know, he's purged a lot of the problem players that we had in the locker room. He's brought a ton of youth in, which I thought youth was important. He did get us Sam Darnold. Wouldn't have gotten him if he didn't trade up and make that big play. Um, And before, when he started with the New York Jets, we were a pretty bad team. And he came in and he bought a ton of players, including like Ryan Fitzpatrick, Brandon Marshall, Um, Did a bunch of things to make the New York Jets better right away, and we were almost a playoff team just like that. Since then, we've been trying to recover from that, try to get rid of a bunch of those contracts, try to save money and get younger and get those problem players out. But now let's see what he can do again now that he's got the money. Can he do the same sort of thing, reignite magic, and instead of doing it behind Fitz magic, do it behind Super Sam and maybe have better results this time and maybe something a little bit more sustainable? But then the other part of me is like, all right, Mike McKagan's draft class has been pretty bad. Mid-round, late-round, very, very shaky. Very, very few players still on the roster in there. Um, it's like he, he had opportunities to spend money last year. Didn't do it. Spent a bunch of one-year contracts on players and really has 29 guys under contract for next year. $100 million to spend, but a free agent class that I honestly think is worse than the one we had last year, and we didn't fill a bunch of those needs then. Instead, he went out. He got you know just bargain-type players like Spencer Long, Isaiah Crowell, he spends the most money that he possibly can on Tremaine Johnson, and people are like, all right, maybe Mike McCagden's big big plan on this was it's a passing league. He wants to start with the secondary because that's one of the most important things on the team. Let's get the secondary in check and then move on from there. Well, that's all all good, I guess, in theory, but Mo Claiborne isn't under contract next year. We don't know if he's coming back, and he may, uh, he may retire. He almost retired once, and he may do it next year now that he's a family guy. Buster Screen. May not be on the team next year. He's not under contract. Very likely that he's not. So now potentially you're going in with Trumaine Johnson, who's been less than what we hoped for this year and played in about half the games. You've got maybe Daryl Roberts, who's been awesome this year. Don't get me wrong, but that's just one guy. You want to play with like three, four corners regularly. Then you've got Marcus May, who's taking a step back, and your superstar Jamal Adams. And when you look at that, it's like, all right, Trumaine Johnson's probably overpaid from what we've seen so far. He could eventually live up to the contract, but he hasn't thus far. And then you spent a first-round pick and second-round pick on two safeties. You better have those positions locked up. Everything else isn't there. The secondary's not intact right now. We don't know what we're doing on the other side of the ball. We don't know what we're going to do in the slot. Is it going to be Perry Nickerson? So even that, his big claim to fame in the secondary isn't really there. So it's like, all right, what has he really done for this team? Our offensive line is getting worse. Our skill positions are getting worse. Nobody's under contract for next year. We, we seem to have no pass rush. Our linebackers are average and then our secondary seems to be really really strong but not as whole and full as we'd like it to be going into next year so I, I'm torn on whether or not I want Mike McCagnon to be back um I got like six more weeks of the season to decide we'll see what the Jets do going forward but 
in this game, this is the talent level that we put on the field. We matched up against a team that didn't have a ton going for it. And it ended 41-10 to at home against a division team that we'd been better than and we were favored to beat. Let's go over some of these team statistics in this game because they're not great. I want to start with uh, the one that's probably the most eye-popping altogether is the time of possession in this game. The Buffalo Bills had time of possession 39 minutes to the Jets' 20 minutes. That's insane. We didn't have the ball for, we had the ball for a third of the game. And part of the reason that we had the ball for a third of the game is that our third down efficiency was 1 for 12. Our total yard in this, yardage in this game was 199 yards. The Bills had 451 yards of offense. They were 8 for 16 on third down. They had 10 rushing first downs to our 5. They had 13 passing touchdowns to our 7. You know, basically double in both. They went for it on a fourth down with their punter. Couldn't be stopped there. I mean, you know, they threw 16 for 26. They had 8.9 yards per pass to our 3.1. Three times. We had one sack. They had three. They tripled us there. You want to talk about rushing yards? We had 83. They had 212. They ran the ball 46 times in this game. I mean, that explains the time of possession, but 46 times for a 4.6 yard per carry average? That's absurd. And against this team, a 3-4 defense that's supposed to be able to stop the run? That's not very good at all. I mean, you're playing against Matt, Matt Barkley and a bunch of unknown receivers. What are you really worried about? You should be able to load eight men in the box against this team with the secondary that the New York Jets have and what the Bills have on the other side of the ball. You should be able to load eight in the box and stop the run entirely, make Matt Barkley throw the ball and beat you. And it shouldn't work. But in this game, nothing was stopping. Matt Barkley was taking long shots whenever he wanted, and it seemed to be working almost any time. He started the game slinging it, getting completions thrown on Trumaine Johnson, Buster Screen. Later in the game, still slinging it, even though they're winning by a ton, getting completions on Mo Claiborne. It just uh, it started, and it didn't stop from the beginning of the game going on. I think what surprised me the most was they had 212 rushing yards. Their longest run of the game was 28 yards by LaShawn McCoy. They had 212 yards with consistent runs of 7, 8 yards. It wasn't like they had an Isaiah Crowell 212-yard rushing game where he gets a, an 80-yard run and a 70-yard run and then a bunch of 4-yard runs and 1-yard runs. In this, it was just like 8 yards after 8 yards. We couldn't stop them. didn't mat matter if it was uh, LaShawn McCoy or Murphy. Even McKenzie ran the ball three times for 32 yards. We couldn't stop anything. We couldn't stop a nosebleed, honestly, in this one. And, you know, it just wasn't the performance that the New York Jets were looking for. We didn't have a ton of penalties in this game, which I guess was a good thing. We had, uh, by the time the game was over, we had one for 10 yards. That's really good. Definitely a step in the right direction. The Bills, one of the most penalized teams in the league, they had four for 30. But the Jets didn't force any turnovers, and it's been the story for the Jets this whole year. When the Jets don't force turnovers, they don't play well. And early in the season, when spirits were high, we had lost some games, sure, but spirits were higher. We were playing teams well sometimes. And the Jets were, you know, 15 takeaways, and they were positive. And recently, they haven't gotten any takeaways, but they've been giving the ball away, whether it's Josh McCown, Sam Darnold, or our receivers following the ball. It's just not been, uh, not been pretty recently. Not much going our way. I guess we can hang our hats on very few penalties and... No fumbles lost. That's good, I guess. We did go for it on fourth down twice, or three times, and we got it twice. That was good. But overall, the team performance compared to the Bills, you look at it on paper, there were weeks that the Jets, like when we played the Dolphins, it was like, wow, the Jets 
basically outplayed Miami, but somehow the Dolphins won this game because of the, the takeaways and because of the defensive touchdown. In this game, the Bills scored more points, and they did better in every category that you can find except for penalties. That's team. Let's get into the player stats. In this game, Josh McCown, Uncle Josh, comes in and plays one of the oldest players, actually the oldest player on the New York Jets roster. He comes in and plays in wake of Sam Darnold, who's in a boot and not able to play in this game. There's some speculation whether or not Sam Darnold's not actually injured, and this is their way of benching him without making a big scene to the uh, public press and making a big spectacle of the whole thing. I don't think that's the case. I think Sam Darnold does need some rest. I think he's a little bit banged up, and they just decided to err on the side of caution because things have been pretty ugly for the last few weeks, and we need to try to kind of right the ship and take a step back, take a deep breath, and they thought maybe putting in a veteran like Josh McCown would kind of center the ship. And part of me was thinking... I was a little bit worried that Josh McCown was going to come in here and play a really good game. Not because I didn't want to play a good game. I did want to see it. Everyone in practice, you know, Jermaine Curse was saying there's much more tempo to the offense with Josh McCown playing rather than having Sam Darnold in there. And you're like, all right, you know, it's maybe a slight at Darnold, but it makes sense because Josh McCown's been a veteran in the league for more than 10 years. So obviously this guy's going to run things a little bit faster and see things a little bit quicker than a rookie who's 21 years old. You know, the youngest rookie to start when the season started. So I'm getting a little nervous. If he comes in here and he's standing in the pocket and he's poised and he's finding his reads and this Jeremy Bates play calling is getting a little bit more, you know, risky, a little bit more crazy because he's trusting Josh McCown and things are working. He's like, oh, let's try this. Let's throw that out there. Josh McCown can handle that. I was a little bit worried that it was going to be kind of a knock on Sam Darnold looking at that, be like, ah, you know, why can't he do that yet? And not that I expect him to do everything that Josh McCown can do. I don't. He shouldn't be at that level yet. But it just would have been a little bit deflating. Like, I wanted Sam Darnold to be a future superstar, and maybe he's got a little bit more growing than I thought. But when you watch Josh McCown come out here and have a game as bad or worse than Sam Darnold has had in these past few weeks, maybe worse, you're like, all right, Josh McCown was good last year. This is not the same team that we had last year, and this is not Sam Darnold's fault. This is coaching, this is personnel, and this is play calling. You had a Josh McCown come out here and throw 17 to 34, 50%, very close to Sam Darnold game, 135 yards, probably less passing yards than we ever get. He was sacked three times for 19 yards, which is a little bit more than Sam usually gets sacked, I'd say. And then no touchdowns, two picks. You look at that and you tell me that it's Sam Darnold's fault. Unless you think that also Josh McCown is possible that he's fallen off a little bit. He's definitely older now. He's not what he was. He's not in game shape because he's not played a ton recently. But for crying out loud, when he comes out there, a guy who's played so much in the league, he's been a backup for a long time. It's not like this is new to him. He's not a perennial starter who just year after year is starting and coming off the bench is strange. This is a guy that's made his living being on the bench, coming in for games, picking up a game, picking up a game here, there. Not what happened. He came in. It was ugly. It's not Sam Darnold's fault. It felt good, I guess, to see that. But now I think to myself, wow, that means that we have to change basically everything. And we are in position to do it with the money and the amount of players under contract, but... Jeez, this offensive line, I mean, I'm going to get into the offensive line in a minute, but this whole thing is just, uh, it's needing a big-time makeover a lot faster than we thought. And this rebuild, you know, it was great to get the quarterback. That's perfect. You plug him in, you get Sam Darnold and move towards the future. But you know what? You still need a bunch of other guys on this team. You need someone that can catch the ball. You need somebody that can get open. You need people that can block. You need guys to consistently get forward yardage when running the ball. You need holes to be open for them. And then on defense, you have to be able to stop a guy like Matt Barkley coming in off the streets from two days of practicing or whatever, knowing that he's going to be the starter. A team that had no rushing touchdowns for the year for LaShawn McCoy gets two in this game. Yeah, God, I mean, it was just 
ugly, ugly across the board in terms of what we did and what we should have been able to do. So changes are a coming. No surprise, we didn't think we had a great roster coming into this year. We didn't think we were a playoff team coming in. Most of us didn't. But changes are a coming. So be ready for that. Let's talk about running the ball. The leading rusher on this team, it was actually tied for first place between Trenton Cannon and Eli McGuire. Both had 30 yards. Trenton Cannon had it on four yards. Eli McGuire had it on six. These are all somewhat subjective and interesting stats because the Jets were down by so much so early in this game. It wasn't really a contest ever. And so at some point it's like maybe they just, the defense was losing their focus a little bit. It's not like these guys were doing this in a tie game, fourth quarter running the ball really well. This was in a lopsided terrible blowout game where nothing really mattered for almost all of the game but Cannon had an all right game you know in terms of running the ball he had a 21 yard run on a a nice little sweet play that was somewhat impressive and a little bit more creative than we usually see from Jeremy Bates so that was good Eli McGuire had six carries for 30 yards he had a 13 yarder which was a nice carry on a fourth and one that was one of the fourth down conversions the Jets got he had a 13 yarder ripped through the hole got a little bit extra it was a really nice play and it was a you know, it's really good to have him back. I don't think he's as good as Bilal Powell yet. Uh, maybe he will be one day because Bilal Powell, he started his career slow with the New York Jets, in my opinion. But Eli McGuire, I mean, I think he's better than Isaiah Crowell right away. Isaiah Crowell had one more carry and 11 yet less yards. You know, Isaiah Crowell had seven carries for 19 yards. His longest carry this game was 18 yards. So he had an 18-yarder on one and totaled one yard combined on his other six carries. Now he had a touchdown, which was great. That was like a six-yard play, and thank God we scored a touchdown in this game, so it wasn't an absolute blowout. Crowell's actually got a decent amount of touchdowns this year, relatively speaking. But when you have like six carries for one yard there, I mean, he was getting stopped for no yards and negative yardage over and over again. And this is the same story that's been going on when Sam Darnold was behind center. The same story with Josh McCown. They're starting these things off second and 10, second and 11, you know, third and eights. These are very, very difficult positions to put your team in because the defense has so many opportunities to just rush you. They're not worried about these short plays because they can give up six yards and still not give a first down. It was uh, it was tough. Overall, the Jets ran uh, for a 3.95 yard per carry average, which is pretty good. Isaiah Crowell was, was way low, seven carries for 19 yards. But Eli McGuire, he was over four, six carries for 30 yards, five yards a carry. You had uh, Trenton Cannon, he was four carries for 30 yards. He was like over seven yards a carry. So decent from those guys. Uh, the running lanes were not really there. Definitely not for Isaiah Crowell and not really there for Eli McGuire for most of the game either. Not big holes. We've seen that all year long, but uh, you know, it's kind of what you expect from this team. At least they got 83 yards and a 3.95 yard per carry average against a pretty stout defensive front for the Buffalo Bills. Unfortunately, we didn't need to run the ball in this game. Really. We needed to throw the ball in this game because we were down for the entire thing. When you go to the passing stats, we only had 17 completions, so nobody's numbers jump off the page. We had 135 receiving yards. That would be really great for one player, but we had that as an entire collective team. So that means that our leading receiver in this game was Chris Herndon. Again, shout out to him, I guess, because he's strung together five good weeks. Three touchdowns, a 60-plus yard performance, and then leading the team in receiving yards this game. Chris Hearn is making a name for himself on this offense, be it Sam Darnold or Josh McCown. He's plugged himself in, and he's having more success than any other tight end we have on the roster. But he led the team in yards with 34 yards. He did only have four targets, so three receptions is pretty good. That's a 75% success rate. He had a 22-yarder on a nice little dump off, a nice uh, flat play from him, rolling out from Josh McCown, dumps it off. He runs for 22 yards. Nice play. Other than that, 
your next best receiver in this game, Eli McGuire, three carries, 27 yards. I'm not upset with that because I like to see Eli McGuire playing well, but I don't want him to be the second leading receiver on the team. Not in a game like this. Not against a division rival. And I know the Buffalo Bills defense is very good. I said that before the game, but still. Six carries or six uh, targets for Eli McGuire, three catches, 27 yards. Isaiah Crowell, your next most yards, 18 yards on two catches on two targets. And one of those was a nice play. So Isaiah Crowell, you know, somewhat decent there. He did have a really bad missed block in this game that led to a sack. And that was uh, definitely a bit of a buzzkill. But still, you got Herndon, three catches for 34 yards leading your team, followed by two running backs, 27 yards and 18 yards. Then we can go to Quincy Nunwa. This is actually his first time playing a real game with Josh McCown since he was injured all of last year, and this is Josh McCown's first time playing this year. But Quincy Nunwa had four catches for 18 yards. He had eight targets. They were dumping it to him a lot. They were trying to do those screen plays where they can get it to him. Hopefully he can bash his way forward. Quincy Nunwa was not under contract for next season, and he's had injuries in his career. And one thing I'm noticing is he's a very good player, right? He could block very well. He can play like that H-back role. He can basically be a tight end, a wide receiver, um, he can run after the catch. He's got pretty good hands and makes nice catches when you least expect them. The guy's pretty quick as well. But the thing about Quincy Nunwa is he's been injured a lot, and he plays an extremely aggressive, rough type of game. And when you see them dumping the ball like that, instead of him just getting tackled like a normal guy and going down, he fights for every single yard he can get. And he leaves these plays banged up. You see him limping off the field. You see him getting a little shaken up. At the end of the day, I can't see him playing his style of football for very long in the NFL. I see concussions coming, concussion protocols. I'm seeing injuries more and more, and eventually it's just going to catch up to him. And I do like Quincy Nunwa. I like the way he plays. But you got to admit, that play style is not conducive to a long-lasting, healthy season. And the New York Jets need people out there. We saw what happened to this team when we have everybody injured in our wide receiving core. It's no good. You're only as good as the people you put on the field. We need better depth. But we need our starters to play as well. And if he's going to be injured and these things are going to happen, we'll see. If he plays the rest of these six games for the New York Jets healthy, I'll say we should bring him back on a somewhat team-friendly contract. But we should try to get him. If he gets injured again and misses more time, I think you only bring him back if you can get a really, really good deal. If anybody else is willing to pay him more than the New York Jets, I think you got to back off. Because if he's not playing, he's not helping. I do like him a lot. I really, really want him to be a healthy player playing for the New York Jets. That's what I want more than anything. I just am having trouble envisioning it, watching the way he had those four catches for 18 yards in this game and getting bruised and battered and knocked down. It just was, uh, it was, it was tough. Jermaine Curse, who was coming off his worst performance that he's ever had with the New York Jets, he came out in this game. He had a really good relationship with Josh McCown last year, too. He had two catches in this game for 16 yards on five targets. Another really bad game for Jermaine Curse. I don't know what's gotten into him, but he couldn't get it going last week with Sam Darnold. He caught a ball out of bounds. He dropped a screen pass. He couldn't get anything going. And then this week with Josh McCown, his old buddy, they had great, great repertoire. No Robbie Anderson in this game. Everybody else basically brand new for Josh McCown. You know, Chris Herndon, Isaiah Crowell, Quincy Anunua. All those guys are new. And Curse was able to get two catches for 16 yards. You'd like to see a little bit more from him. Sharon Peak had one random catch in the game, a little curl play. One catch for 11 yards on one target. Jordan Leggett got a catch. Six yards. Kind of a lame play. Basically useless. Um, but he had a catch, so he made his way into this list. We got to talk about him. I actually would have talked about him anyway because I thought it was really funny. There was a play where Eli McGuire had a nice run outside to the right, outside of Brandon Shell zone. Goes out and gets like uh, 15, 20 yards. The play's called back. There's three penalties in the New York Jets. 
all holding. This was our one penalty in the game. There were three on the same play, but they can only accept one. They declined the first one. They declined the second one. They accept the third. On who? Jordan Leggett. I just thought it was hilarious because if I could have chosen anybody, I also would have chosen Jordan Leggett. So I was really happy that the Bills picked the right guy and uh, Jordan Leggett got his name called, finally. And, uh, you know, the announcers had to f- look, scramble to figure, who's 86? Who's number 86? It's Jordan Leggett. And then he had a catch for six yards, and he's proving to us that he is no better now than he was when he wasn't playing. Trenton Cannon, he had one catch for five yards. He had four targets in this one. They wanted to get him going. The announcers in this game, they're like referring to Trenton Cannon all game long as a Swiss Army knife. And I'm watching with uh, my roommate, one of the members of the board. He's watching the game like, Swiss Army knife? Of of what? This is a master of none in my opinion, right? We're watching and he doesn't catch the ball. They're throwing to him. It's going off the wrong shoulder. He's not rushing the ball forward most of the time. He's fumbled the ball every time he tried to do kick returns in preseason. And this one time this year on a punt return, nothing's gone right for Trenton Cannon, really. And uh, they're referring to him like he's some secret gadget, a a giant weapon for the Jets. Uh, He's not that. The New York Jets want him to be that. He hasn't found a way to really get it going yet. Obviously, our offense is extremely, extremely weak right now. We'll see if Trenton Cannon can get something going with a new offensive coordinator next year that's calling more creative plays. Maybe they can get a guy like him with his speed involved. But the way it's going right now, Trenton Cannon's going to have a tough time doing anything with as vanilla and lame an offensive play-calling style the New York Jets have this year. All right, so that's what we have for the skill position players. Go over to the offensive line, and it wasn't a great game. And I want to talk about kind of my bugaboo with the offensive line right now. Seems like every week... Um, if you look at the reports, uh, Michael Nanny does a really nice breakdown of the offensive line men each week, whether they gave up, you know, stuffs or pass blocking, what they did in the run game. Uh, he does really good stats for offensive linemen that are often really time really hard to find. But Pro Football Focus also does their ratings and things. And one thing that I'm finding is that every week it seems like somebody else is playing really well. One week, you know, early in the season, Spencer Long's playing well. Then he's absolutely terrible. Let's not blame the finger. He's absolutely terrible. Then you got... Brian Winters playing really poorly, in my opinion, getting knocked back, playing really, really weak, poor right guard. He's a guy that needs to be replaced. And then this week, they rate him like one of the best right guards in the league, Pro Football Focus does, and I didn't see it. I think Brian Winters is one of the big problems on the offensive line. We have this offensive line, and there are issues, okay? We can't run the ball, and we're not giving enough time to our quarterback to throw the ball. That's true. Now, you got to find guys to replace then. You can't look at the line and say, well, Kelvin Beecham's good, James Carpenter's a good player, Brian Winters is solid, and Brandon Shell's getting pretty good. You can't say it's all the center's fault. You can't do it. you got to find guys that need to be replaced. In my mind, it's the interior lineman. It's James Carpenter. is on his way out. He's getting old, and this is it for him. He's not under contract. It's Spencer Long. I think, George, uh, I think um, Jonathan Harrison is better at snapping the ball, but I don't think he's an amazing blocking offensive lineman. And I think that Brian Winters needs to go. I don't care how well he played this week by the stats. I think that he's inconsistent. I think that I always was hoping he was going to turn a corner, but he hasn't. He gets less penalties than he used to get, but I think he's getting pushed back and beaten up and bullied in there more often. And honestly, sometimes Kelvin Beecham, like in this game, Kelvin Beecham has has some trouble. He does. He gave up a, uh, a sack in this game on a bad block. He really, really got burned on one block. The guy got to Josh McCown and he had to chuck the ball up, and that was one that was intercepted. I mean, that interception was basically all Kelvin Beecham's fault. He got absolutely bullied on that play. This guy went right around him. So when you look at this, it's like, all right, who's it going to be? Carpenter? He's probably gone. Harrison? I think we need a new center. 
Brian Winters, great grade, not playing well all season. Brandon Shell, a guy that the Jets have been trying to you know cultivate throughout their own system for the last few years. He's getting better. He's still not great. There's no amazing offensive lineman out there on the New York Jets roster. There isn't one. We got to find one in the free agency. We got to look for them in the draft. We may have to make a trade. And we're going to have to get an offensive coordinator in here that knows how to work with the pieces that we have on the offensive line. You know, look at the way Bill Belichick made a guy like Nate Solder look so good for so long because he played a certain style, a certain scheme with Bill Belichick's offense. And then he goes over to the Giants and they realize they don't have the same system over there. And Will Hernandez doesn't play the same right guard as the guys did for the Patriots. And Solder's having so much trouble. He's playing terribly. It's just one of those situations where we're going to have to figure something out because this offensive line just isn't blocking well enough in uh, in either phase of the game, running or passing, and, and people have to go. Let's move over to the defensive side of the ball. We'll start on the defensive line. I think it's uh, interesting. We're going to start with Nathan Shepard because he actually had six tackles in this game. It's the most he's had in any game for the Jets so far this season, and usually he gets one or two tackles. Sometimes he's left off the list completely. This week he gets six tackles, and it's like, wow, all right. Now, one of the reasons is that the Bills ran the ball 46 times and had the ball for 40 minutes of the game. So, yeah, Nathan Shepard had ample opportunities to get some uh, some tackles, and he did. That's somewhat interesting to see. Mike Pinnell, he had your second most tackles. He had five. Leonard Williams, the Bills know all too well. He had a a quiet game. He did have a tackle for a loss and and still played pretty well. I always like Leonard Williams. He had an injury scare in this game that hopefully he's going to be all right for next week or the week after when he plays against the Patriots. Leonard Williams is a great player, and teams key up on him, and I know that he always looks like he's been quiet, but the way the team is set, the way the defensive um, game plan is set from Todd Bowles, he's not supposed to be shining and flashy out there at that defensive end position. He's supposed to be taking blocks, demanding double teams, and getting people open for other sacks. And you're seeing guys like Jordan Jenkins are having much better seasons. Leonard Williams is a big reason why. Henry Anderson, I think that he's been quieting down over the past few weeks. He did have three tackles. He started the season really hot for the Jets. He was getting sacks, quarterback hits left and right. In this game, not so much. Quiet week for him. That was basically what happened on our uh, our defensive line. McClendon had two tackles and a tackle for a loss. He did have a nice play, but he's been kind of phased out. He's one of the oldest guys in this team, over 30 years old. One of only three guys on the roster to be over 30. Him, Andre Roberts, and McCown. And, you know, McClendon's on his way out, but he's still a guy that we like to have in the locker room. Fun player, especially in terms of his interviews. And then we had uh, Basham. And Basham's a younger guy who was cut early round pick a couple years ago. And uh, he's playing all right for the Jets. They're giving him some minutes, but we'll see if he sticks around. A lot of these guys, like I said, are going to be gone. We don't have that good a team where we're going to keep everybody. It's not that situation. This is more like, all right, we need to be better. Which guy should we cut first? Going over to the linebackers, outside linebacker Jordan Jenkins had a half sack in this game. And it puts him at five sacks for the season, which not only leads the team, but it's more than his previous high. His previous high with the New York Jets was three. That was last year. And the year before, he had two and a half. So you're seeing Jordan Jenkins... He's a quiet player. He's not a great edge rusher, in my opinion. He's a good bull rusher for the most part, but but somewhat uh, predictable in terms of his rushing skills. But he's good at setting an edge. And if you're getting five sacks out of him so far, I mean, maybe he gets six, seven by the end of the year. That's not going to be that bad. I think that maybe he's earned his way back onto the starting rotation next year. And maybe it's the other outside linebacker spot that the New York Jets are going to have to address for a pass rusher. Yeah, so five sacks for him. He had three tackles in this game. Still sets a good edge. Played a pretty good game. Your other outside linebacker, Brandon Copeland, had a more quiet game than he's had recently. He only had two tackles. And uh, Jeremiah Tachu, two tackles also. 
You had Luvu, he had a tackle. Just a quiet game overall. We weren't stopping anybody. We weren't having nice plays. We didn't have any turnovers. We didn't have many tackles for a loss. They were basically running through us for seven yards every play. They were throwing the ball, and when they were, they were completing it. It's not like we were going to be looking for stats and great performances all around. We saw a lot of lazy performances from players. You heard Jamal Adams say that the New York Jets are playing uninspired and somewhat lazy, and some of these guys are doing the bare minimum. Jamal Adams said that, that the New York Jets are doing the bare minimum. And I'm going to break away on a quick little tangent here, because I think it's interesting that Jamal Adams... First of all, I don't know why he's the spokesman of the team. He's just named himself that. He does play harder than everybody else, and he's probably our best player on defense right now, maybe the best player on the entire roster. But he's not the spokesman for this team, and he doesn't speak for everybody. And when he says that Todd Bowles is not the problem earlier in a press conference, T. Bowles is not the guy, it's not his problem, and then he says that guys are doing the bare minimum and some of these guys aren't trying, then whose fault is that? That's your head coach. If he honestly believes that players aren't trying and it's that noticeable to him that people are doing the bare minimum, then that goes straight to leadership. Who's in charge of these guys, and what the hell are they doing? If Jamal Adams was the head coach, would he allow that? Would he allow players to do the bare minimum, or would he call them out the way that he just did in this press conference, or this uh, little interview? So what is he doing defending Todd Bowles? I get it that he needs to do this, but he should just honestly keep his mouth shut right now because it doesn't make sense, and I love the guy. I love what he says. I love his fire, but he's on the verge of just saying something that's going to be more detrimental to the team than good. He really doesn't help in stuff like this. He just makes storylines and headlines, and he boosts his own brand. But he's not helping anything. And if he can just remain quiet, keep doing a great kick-ass job at safety, the whole league will notice. They already know who Jamal Adams is. He's a fun, dynamic, exciting player, and one of the few players in the entire Jets roster worth watching. They know who he is. He just needs to make it through this whole thing, be cool, wait for the new coach, and, and let this whole thing happen. It's going to work itself out. It has to. If these players aren't trying, they're going to be off the roster. The new coach has to come in here and instill a whole new mindset out there and get this thing moving forward. The Jets are going to be a winning team, and winning heals everything. When the Jets start winning, Jamal Adams will be fine. He's just got to get there. He's got to make it through this tough spot. And with that, the unnecessary rant is over. We'll move to the inside linebacker position, where Avery Williamson led the team in tackles with 11, as he usually does, having a really nice season so far in terms of tackles. He's also making nice plays. He had a tackle for a loss in this game. He also forced a fumble on the Jets' one-yard line, which is awesome, but it was recovered by the Bills, and they scored a touchdown. So it wasn't so awesome. It didn't help, but it was a, a moment where, for a moment, we thought things were getting a little bit better. Avery Williamson's playing well. He's one of the great signings that Mike McCagden has gotten over the years. If you look through all the guys that are worth what every penny, I think Avery Williamson is that guy. Now for the other inside linebacker, honestly, Darren Lee is playing bad middle linebacker. And he's one of the first people to be replaced on this team, in my mind. I don't think that he's got to be cut from the team, but I think that he can't be starter. I don't think that he makes anywhere near the impact you need a middle linebacker to play in a 3-4 defense. I don't care if he's got some sneaky good coverage skills, or if every once in a while he gets a few tackles in a game. I watch the way he plays. He doesn't shoot the gaps. He doesn't tackle with his shoulder. He doesn't have any edge or aggressiveness at all. He waits for guys to come to him and then tries to arm tackle them with one arm as they fall forward for an extra one or two yards. He doesn't make plays in the backfield with all that speed that he's got. He doesn't make plays in the backfield really ever. doesn't tackle cleanly or formally. He doesn't get to the quarterback. He really doesn't do anything for this team, and he had me fooled. He had two interceptions in the first week of the season, and you're thinking, wow, maybe Darren Lee's turned the corner. These are the splash plays we were waiting for from our guy, Darren Lee. And then he had a couple plays the next couple weeks. He had another interception. It's like, whoa, he's leading the league in interceptions right now. This is crazy, Darren Lee. But you know what? Consistency is what we need at that linebacker position. We're getting it from Avery Williamson. We're not getting it from Darren Lee. Darren Lee had 11 tackles in this game. More than half of them were assisted. 
They ran the ball 46 times, so let's not give him any credit for that. He had no tackles for a loss, no other stats of relevance in this one, and I'm honestly sick and tired of it. He's the team captain right now. I think he goes down with bowls in this whole thing. I wouldn't be surprised if the new guy that comes in just says, all right, Darren Lee, you don't have the medal to play this position. Think of the guys that we had, the David Harris's, the Jonathan Vilmos, the middle linebackers of old for the New York Jets. This is it's atrocious, and I'm honestly surprised that the New York Jets fan base and the coaches have stood for it for as long as we have. I, uh, I've i kind of passed the breaking point with him now after having so many quiet weeks and just watching him tackle like that over and over, always thinking maybe he'd get it, maybe now that he's a captain, maybe something's going to change. You know what? I've watched more than half of the season, and the book is out on him. He's a bust. Let the New York Jets cut our losses and move forward next year. So that is linebackers. Let's move over to the cornerbacks. Buster Screen played a pretty bad game in this one. Zay Jones was uh, his man for a lot of the game, and Zay Jones had a touchdown on him, a bunch of catches. Screen was burned, did not play a good game. A lot of people get upset with Screen frequently. This was one of the most upset I've been with him, one of the worst games I've seen him play. Trumaine Johnson comes back from injury in this game, and Daryl Roberts has been playing in his stead, and Daryl Roberts has been playing really, really good freaking football for the New York Jets. But now that Trumaine Johnson's back, it doesn't matter how well Trumaine Johnson had been playing or anything like that, even though Daryl Roberts was better, Tremaine Johnson's getting paid millions and millions of dollars by Mike McCagnon, so he's got to be the guy that starts, and Daryl Roberts hardly plays in this game at all. So Tremaine Johnson's out there, and he gets burned by a player just picked up off the practice squad from the Buffalo Bills very early in the game. They were testing his leg early, and he got burned uh, throughout the game. A few more catches on him, and not that he played an absolutely terrible game after that first throw, but not as well as Daryl Roberts had played. And I think it's just one of those situations where we paid Tremaine Johnson so much, now you have to kind of ride with it. And honestly, Tremaine Johnson has not lived up to the contract that he was given yet with the New York Jets. There's still time for him. He's got a long time to go on this contract, so we're going to see if he does. But thus far, he's been injured and then spotty in coverage. And he's getting paid like the top cornerback in the NFL, so he should be doing that. He should be covering guys, shutting them down, getting big plays, you know, he had a pick earlier this year, but he fumbled the ball on the same play right back to the opponent. So it's just not good enough from him. We need to see a little bit more. Now that he's getting healthy, he better make a difference. You know, he's going to be having a tough matchup in the Patriots. Tom Brady's going to try to exploit him and then hold New York Jets defense. Let's see how just how bad it gets. The best cornerback performance in this game was definitely from Mo Claiborne. There was one big catch that was made on Claiborne late in the game that was just hawked up, and Claiborne was actually in pretty good coverage, but the receiver found a way to come down with the ball on a, on a kind of jump ball sort of deal on the left sideline. But other than that, Mo Claiborne almost had an interception. He had a nice tip out of the back of the end zone on a throw towards uh, the left corner of the end zone. Mo Claiborne had another good game. He has been our most consistent cornerback throughout the entire year. If you take out the penalties that he had for the whole stretch of the middle of the season, Mo Claiborne's played really, really good football. I know Daryl Roberts has been really awesome these last few weeks, but he's not consistently been a part of the defense for the entire year like Claiborne has. And Claiborne's a guy that's not under contract next year, and we're not sure if he wants to play football again or keep playing for the New York Jets, but he's a guy that we would like to get back for sure, especially if he's playing at the level that he's playing at right now. When it comes to safety, Jamal Adams had probably the best game on defense for any player. Uh, Jamal Adams had four tackles, but he had... One and a half sackles. He had two tackles for a loss in this game. He had half a sack that he shared with Jordan Jenkins. Um, Jamal Adams is all over the field. They didn't play a great defensive game, so it's not like he was, you know, lights out, getting things done, shutting this whole thing down. But there were uh, a couple drives, basically one drive that he shut the entire thing down himself, getting a tackle on first down, getting a tackle on second down, making the whole thing happen. Um, he's just one of those guys that 
he doesn't change the entire game, but he changes drives. He definitely changes plays and uh, helps the game go in your favor. Unfortunately, it wasn't enough, and you wonder why he's frustrated. That's why. Marcus May, he's playing free safety. He's not the same as he was last year. I've been saying it, and it's still there. He's not quite where he was last year. He was uh, an impactful player last year, looking really good. We'd had bad free safeties for a while, and I think that Marcus May came in and right away kind of ignited the team, and it was like, ooh, this is what it's supposed to look like. Now, not seeing it from him. He's silent like the free safeties used to be for the New York Jets. We had a bunch of deep balls thrown on us, and sure, a lot of them were towards the sidelines in this one, so it's not entirely his fault, but on the deep balls, he is supposed to be the security blanket on those. He's not getting a ton of tackles in this one. Um, He did have one nice play, I think, in this game. Some nice coverage on a pass. But other than that, he's just not where he was last year, and I can't wait to see him get back there. He did have four tackles in this game, but the tackles are, you know, kind of a useless stat, honestly, if you're not getting a ton of them. Avery Williamson, he's shutting the whole thing down with his tackles week after week. He's going to lead the team in tackles. It's going to mean something. Jamal Adams, he's all over the field getting tackles. When he has a bunch at the end of the year, it's going to mean something. But when you get three, four throughout the game, if they're not tackles for a loss, if they're not ones that you truly remember, a lot of times it's just him being there, running through his hole, getting his arm on the guy and getting the tackle. We're not going to read too much into that. Marcus Mays uh, stepped down from where he was last year. That's basically what we got for the defense in this game. I think one thing that was a huge issue was not only were we unable to stop the run, but we weren't able to get any pressure on the quarterback. I mean, how many times did Matt Barkley throw the ball deep? How many times did he throw the ball 20, 25 yards in this game? It felt like over and over and over again. How was he able to do that? Because the Jets don't have any pressure on him. We're not getting through. This is an offensive line on the Bills that's not supposed to be any good. They lost so many of their players. They were playing Vlad Dukas, a Jets cast-off. It's just, I, I, I find it hard to believe that we got one sack in this game and couldn't stop the run, and it was Matt Barkley and these receivers, play after play after play, that Todd Bowles on the hot seat, fighting for his career, and all these players fighting for him, trying to keep Todd, they're all saying, we want Todd Bowles to stay, we want him to pl- stay. You watch this game, it looks like they don't want him to stay. It looks like they wanted to get their asses absolutely handed to them so that he'd be fired during the bye week. Now, Chris Johnson has said that Todd Bowles is not going to be fired during the bye week. He's not going to be fired until the end of the season, is essentially what he said. He said they're going to retain him until the end of the season, which basically means he's on his way out, but we're going to wait to do it because we don't think it's going to help putting... I don't know who would be the head coach. I honestly thought when I was thinking about it, if Todd Bowles got fired right now, the next best guy in line would be our offensive line coach, Dennison, who's a really well-respected dude, but our offensive line hasn't been playing well. You can't put Casey Rogers as the head coach. And Jeremy Bates already has too much control calling these plays. We can't give him any more. Our special teams is all right, but Brant Boyer's not ready to be a head coach. And then you're looking at guys like, what, you're going to put Stump Mitchell, our running backs coach, at, at, at head coach? That's not going to happen. So I don't think they had a good option. And I don't think they were going to look on an exterior guy because they didn't have an interior candidate to do it. They're just going to keep Todd Bowles for the rest of the year, ride this thing out, and we'll see how many more games they lose. Tough schedule coming up, too. Titans, Texans, Patriots twice, Packers, and another Bills game. And there might not be another win in there. There might not be another win. Special teams, not so special. Andre Roberts had a bunch of kick returns in this game. He was trying to get something done. You know, the Bills obviously kept scoring touchdowns, so they kept kicking the ball off. Andre Roberts, instead of letting the ball go into the end zone like he normally would do, in this game when we were getting shellacked, he took the ball out five times. 132 yards on that, so he's averaging like 26 yards a return. His long in this one was 36 yards. Not terrible. He didn't uh, get that big one that we needed for any sort of spark for the offense. 36 yards was good, but, you know, not what we needed. They hardly punted in this game. The punter for uh, the Buffalo Bills punted four times, and one was a touchback, 
One was inside the 20, not returned. Andre Roberts had one return in this game for 15 yards. A pretty good return on a punt. Anything, honestly, like over 7 yards, 8 yards on a punt is pretty good. So 15, we'll definitely take it. But just not a huge impact from Andre Roberts. We've seen more from him. He's not fumbling the ball, and he's still playing well, and he's still been one of our bright spots in this team next year. this year. And I think he should be back on the team next year. But, you know, you can't ask it. The guy like him in his position, you can't ask him to change the offense or change the game. You know, you're excited when it does happen. He does help win some games throughout the year. But it's not something that you're relying on. You need execution in your offense and your defense, not a couple chance punts here and there. Now, when you want to talk about your special teams player of the game, I know I haven't done the other positions yet, but I'm going to start right with it because I was that excited about Jason Myers because he made another 55-yard field goal. And it's nothing that special 55 yard field goal he should make it but the thing with him is it feels like time and time again the New York Jets are having so much trouble moving the ball and then finally they get to a chance where it's like we are close to getting shut out or scoring very very few points in this game we need something can Jason Myers please get us on the board please give us a little bit of hope or some bright spot but they don't give him like a 30 yard kick 40 yard kick it's always like a 56 yarder to maybe get some points on the board a 55 yarder like in some crazy wind holy shoot, can he make this freaking thing? And again, they gave him a 55-yarder on this one to try to get from zero points to something, and he did it. He made it. He was uh, one for one on extra points, too. So he's your player of the game. I mean, the guy, you ask him to do it, and he does it. I uh, I know he missed a couple here and there. Extra point and a field goal in a crazy game. But for the most part, this guy's been, been lights out and much better than we expected him to be. He's been better than... Chandler Catanzaro, who was just cut by the Bucks, they replaced him with Cairo Santos. So they are literally on the New York Jets trajectory here. They went Catanzaro uh, and then Cairo Santos. We'll see how long before they cut him and try to get Jason Myers from us. Maybe they'll pick Tyler Bertolette next, who competed with Jason Myers in training camp and preseason. And then punting the ball, Locke Edwards punted the ball seven times, 312 yards. 60-yard uh, was as long. He had one inside the 20. Not a bad game from him. He did have another... He had a bad punt in this game. He always seems to have one bad shank of a punt, and he did have one bad one. But other than that, he was solid. I mean, you don't want to punt the ball as many times as he did, but uh, that's just kind of how she goes. And he did what he was asked to do. Didn't do super. Didn't pin him inside the five-yard line, anything like that. He's not done many of those this year. But, uh, you know, he didn't get anything blocked. Didn't have anything too, too bad except for that one punt that could have been much better. So that's your special teams. I'll go back and do offensive player of the game and defensive player of the game now. Offensive player of the game, geez. Chris Herndon did lead the team in total receiving yards. So that's good because he's been on fire recently. I mean, you know, a very small fire in Ember, but at least something. Jonathan Harrison had nice snaps compared to Spencer Long. Finally, no fumbles there and pretty direct snaps all throughout the game. But I think we got to give it to Eli McGuire because Eli McGuire is a guy that we didn't have and we needed. Our running game has not been there. Isaiah Crowell has been inconsistent, and you can blame some on the offensive line, sure, but he's also been on ice skates for a lot of this year and had really inconsistent weeks. Sometimes I'm awesome, but a lot of times very, very, very bad. Then you lose Bilal Powell, and you're thinking, shoot, we need something to steady this offense because if it's Isaiah Crowell and Trenton Cannon, if Eli McGuire can't get anything going, we are going to be in a really, really tough spot for Sam Darnold because he's got to get something better than 3rd and 10 every time. Something better than a defensive play where they know exactly what you're trying to do and where you're going to run. We don't have that many 3rd and 10, 3rd and 12 plays where it's that hard for them to cover. We play all these empty sets all the time. Sam Darnold's getting crushed. But Eli McGuire comes in, and he's been a bright spot for this team. He's been averaging pretty good yardage, over 4 yards a carry since coming back. He's been catching the ball. He's had some really nice blocks. He's had some really nice blocks uh, in the passing game, much better than Isaiah Crowell. He's been catching better than Isaiah Crowell. He's been running more consistently than Isaiah Crowell. 
and it happened just like that. A guy that we drafted very late last year, and he's coming in playing for basically nothing in terms of money, and he's earned a spot on this team, and I think he deserves more of the lion's share of the carries moving forward. I think that we should try to see if Eli McGuire can maybe be that bell cow for the New York Jets. We have to find a running back for next year. I don't think we can go in with Trenton Cannon, Isaiah Crowell, and Eli McGuire unless Eli McGuire is playing that well. I think that we have to make a change. We have to bring a little bit of extra support in for Sam Darnold. And at this point, I just want to make sure that Eli McGuire gets a, enough of a chance to prove that he deserves to be on the roster next year. That if they do decide to get a guy like Mark Ingram or Le'Veon Bell in free agency, that they don't decide to couple him with Isaiah Crowell instead of Eli McGuire. I know that Crowell is a more established veteran. I know that he's being paid more. But honestly, I'd be much happier with uh, the way it's going right now. You know, everything, we still got six weeks to go. Eli McGuire's hardly played. He's only got like 15 carries so far this year for the Jets. But I'd be so much happier as it stands right now having Eli McGuire be that guy because at least he brings some consistency to the offense, a little better blocking, and better receiving than Isaiah Crowell. I want to make sure that he gets the opportunity to prove that. When you want to talk about defensive player of the game, I think it's got to go to Jamal Adams. He had the half a sack. He had two tackles for a loss. He was all over the field. He was making good plays. He was lighting guys up. He uh, forced a couple incomplete passes just by getting pressure on the quarterback. He blasted through a couple offensive linemen, getting through people that are trying to pick up. He plays aggressive all the time, and if you want to see a high-motor guy in this team, it's hard to find him right now. You know, moods are down, and, and the tone for the Jets is very, very low and somber, but Jamal Adams plays like it's important every single play, every single week, and it's honestly rare to see. I'm surprised that a guy like him is playing this hard still when the team's not giving it to him, they're not giving it back, and they're getting killed 41-10, to 10, and he's still on the last play of the game, running as fast as he can, trying to make the play. Credit to him, still getting it done, playing the best football in the New York Jets right now. Hope we can, uh, hope we can build with him. Hopefully we can find a way to get him the wins that he so desperately wants. He's clearly unhappy with the way the team is playing, and hopefully they can figure out a way to get the players in there that need to be there to help start winning these games with Sam Darnold. So that's what we have for this week, as we got demolished by the Buffalo Bills at home, 41-10. to It sucks going into a bye week with a loss because you don't have anything to kind of hang your hat on. I like winning, watching the highlights, listening to people say some sort of positive things here and there about the New York Jets. We're not going to get it this week. Not after this game. The only positive you're going to hear is, well, who are the coaches the New York Jets can get? Uh, you know, when is Todd Bowles going to be gone? And that's about it. What free agent should the Jets go after? And, and who's available in the draft? Who are we going to be able to get? That's the positives. Other than that, it's very, very little. And it's probably going to remain that way for the rest of the year, unless we can beat the Patriots in some miraculous game. That's unlikely. This is the point where I usually do a preview of next week's game, but the Jets don't have a next week's game. I'm going to do an episode next week, and I'm going to do it a little differently since we're not going to have a game to recap. Um, what I'm probably going to do then is do some AFC East news for what's happened, a little bit of NFL news and storylines, talk about some stuff with the New York Jets, like you know our financial situation, some of the free agents that are on my wish list right now, talk about maybe some of the players coming up in the draft, what the New York Jets can be looking for, some coaching candidates, and where this team is going to go, what the direction is going to be. And then I'll touch on a preview against the New England Patriots, where... I can tell you right now, it's probably not going to be very optimistic. Maybe we can get some stuff going. I mean, we easily, easily can be better than 41-10 to 10 against the Buffalo Bills, right? We can easily do that. And the Patriots are coming off a really bad 34-10 to 10 loss to the Tennessee Titans. So maybe they'll be really pissed off, or maybe they're a little bit weaker than we thought. I don't know. I mean, let's just play them as well as we possibly can and save the rest of that preview for next week. 
that's basically all I have for this episode. If you want to hear more from me, I do have a Twitter. It's basically the Isaiah Cruel of Twitters, whereas sometimes I'll tweet four or five, six, seven times in a day. Other times I'll be silent for two days in a row. It's just something that you can get extra bonus coverage on as I'm thinking about the New York Jets throughout the week and I get random thoughts. I throw them on there. So feel free to follow me there. I'm at gangreennation.com now. So if you're looking for this podcast, look for it at Nation Podcast. And don't forget to check out Michael Nania's podcast, which is also awesome. He's got articles on Gang Green Nation as well, where, like I said, he goes into some of the offensive line. He breaks down some other stuff. The guy's like a statistical genius for the New York Jets. So give him a chance there. And as always, you know, follow me at Jets underscore Dan. Tweet at me with questions, email me with questions, whatever you want to do. If you want me to talk about specific things, you don't like the way the show is going, anything like that. And I look forward to next week. I get to do a bye week special. The New York Jets will not have lost when I do my next episode, so maybe uh, I won't be so pissed off at Darren Lane and some of the other guys in this team. Maybe I'll be talking about the positive stuff coming in the future. And we'll see. We'll see. I've got a, another week to prepare for that and see what's happening inside the NFL and what's changing within the Jets organization and locker room. If everyone keeps their mouth shut for a week or if we have some sort of weird headline that comes up in this bye week as these guys are losing their gosh darn minds following this loss that stings pretty darn bad right now. We'll find out. Hopefully Sam Darnold's going to get healthy ASAP and we can see him play again because as much as we thought Sam uh, Josh McCown was going to come in and kind of steady things out a little bit, he didn't. And I don't think it's going to get much better against the Patriots regardless of who's in there, Josh McCown or Sam Darnold. So might as well give Sam Darnold some minutes. Maybe you want to push him back, get him away from the Patriots for one week. That's fine. But I need him healthy for the week after that. Can't have him missing any more than you know two games this season, especially with this bye week helping him to get healthy from an injury that we aren't even sure is serious. But anyway, that rant is over, and this podcast is over. So until next time, thank you for joining me. I'm Dan Burnham, and this is The Jet Life. My name is Spencer Hall. My name is Jason Kirk. My name is Ryan Nanny. And when we combine, we form the, the Shutdown, Shutdown Fullcast. Fultron! I keep telling you, we're not Fultron. The Shutdown Fullcast is technically a college football podcast, but it's also a show about lawn care disasters, regional grocery stores we love, Tennessee Batman, homeowners associations, Bears in video games. I mean, there's also some actual football discussion, like about coaches having huge contracts or coaches making terrible decisions or coaches saying really stupid things. Or the NCAA saying really stupid things. Yeah, there's lots of stupid things in this big, dumb, beautiful sport. Sometimes we talk about football games. Allegedly. If you want to take college football exactly as seriously as it deserves to be taken, come find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts like this one. The Shutdown Fullcast. It's not Voltron.